Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smezer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paseo Podcast. Keep up with us at Paseo Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. If you want to follow me, I'm at JS De Leon on Twitter. You can also pitch a story or volunteer with the podcast by reaching out to us on our website, paseomedia.org. To watch the interview portions of our episodes, check out our YouTube channel. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. While you're there, like our videos and subscribe to our channel. Help us get to 100 subscribers. I think we're at about 57 or 60 right now. So help us out, por favor. Uh, for this week's episode, we're sharing two separate but related interviews. In the first half of this episode, we speak to Federico A. de Jesus. He's the senior advisor for Power for Puerto Rico and a former Obama-Biden official. We're going to speak to him about the Puerto Rico Self-Determination Act, which was a bill introduced in the House of Representatives by Representatives Nidia Velasquez and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and in the Senate by Senator Bob Menendez. We cover a lot of ground, including misconceptions of the bill, how it came to be, how it seeks to address Puerto Rico's status, and how it compares to the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act, which is another bill seeking to address Puerto Rico's status that was introduced by Representative Darren Soto and Puerto Rico's non-voting member of Congress, Jennifer Gonzalez. In the second half of the show, we welcome Giovanni Pagan Velez and Andres Rodriguez Brower. They were both members of the research team responsible for a recent study released by Data for Progress on Puerto Rican status preferences. They polled likely voters in Puerto Rico to see what their preferences were on La Isla status by simulating a ranked choice voting scenario. We'll learn more about their findings, what status questions they ask Puerto Ricans, and more when we take the deep dive into their research. By the way, if you're hearing the term ranked choice voting for the first time, it's probably my favorite way to vote. Here's the definition according to Time Magazine. Ranked choice voting is an electoral system that allows people to vote for multiple candidates in order of preference. Instead of just choosing who you want to win, you fill out the ballot saying who is your first choice, second choice, or third choice or more as needed for each position. The candidate with the majority, meaning more than 50%, of first choice votes wins outright. If no candidate gets a majority of first choice votes, then it triggers a new counting process. The candidate who did the worst is eliminated, and that candidate's voters' ballots are redistributed to their second choice pick. In other words, if you ranked a losing candidate as your first choice and the candidate is eliminated, then your vote still counts. It just moves to your second choice candidate. That process continues until there is a candidate who has the majority of votes. Really looking forward to sharing both of these discussions with you all, but first, I wanted to share some news. As many of our listeners know, one of our podcast partners since the beginning has been the Puerto Rican Cultural Center here in Chicago. Well, I'm happy to announce we recently added a new partnership into the mix. 
the Chicago Independent Media Alliance, or SEMA for short. SEMA was launched by the Chicago Reader in 2019 to help bring together a wide range of local media for editorial and business partnerships. Needless to say, we are really excited to be a part of the 66 Media Outlet Strong Alliance and for what opportunities being a part of the alliance will bring. In Puerto Rico sports news, Boricua boxer Amanda Serrano defeated Daniela Bermudez for her 30th career knockout and 40th career win. If you're hearing her name for the first time, she's worth looking into. I'm not a huge boxing fan. I will admit that. I know probably a handful, maybe 10 boxers I could name off the top of my head. Do I know their stats like I know basketball player stats? No, not at all. But if there's someone that you should know and you're Puerto Rican and you like Puerto Rican boxers, Amanda Serrano is probably worth your time. Uh, she is uh, super impressive. Her resume is stacked. She's the only female and Puerto Rican boxer to win titles in seven different divisions. And she's not only showed her dominance inside a boxing ring, she's also competed in MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and won. The Associated Press reported that cleanup efforts in Vieques and Culebra, led by the U.S. Department of Defense and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, will continue through 2032 at an additional cost of $420 million for a total of $800 million, as stated in the U.S. Government Accountability Office's report. According to the GAO report, this delay is in part due to challenges including logistics, dial-ins topography and environment, and the safety concerns around handling unexploded munitions. The Navy also faces challenges on Vieques with community distrust of the military handling cleanup efforts. So far, crews have removed munition including 32,000 bombs, 12,000 grenades, and 1,300 rockets from Vieques, where the U.S. government relocated residents when the Navy began using the island as a training range in the 1940s. Meanwhile, crews have also cleared more than 5,000 unexploded ordinances since January 2020 in Culebra, where the military ceased all activities in 1975. Even with this cleanup effort, and this part should blow your mind, an unknown number of munitions remains on both islands. Sounds terrifying. The U.S. government has said that past military actions and ongoing cleanup efforts pose no risk, but many have disputed those findings. Now, there's a lot of built-up tension on both small islands on this and other topics because for decades, Puerto Ricans of Culebra and Vieques have had spotty ferry service at best and have been exposed to toxic conditions from the U.S. Navy shelling. People are simply tired of this being the status quo, even as recently as this week. Videos were shared online of people from Culebra blocking a ferry from docking in order to protest transportation injustice. We actually shared a few videos on our Twitter feed, so definitely go check those out. Uh, it was very inspiring to see. You just see people on kayaks, canoes, blocking an entryway for a ferry trying to dock in Culebra. This is really tough to see, and there's a lot of pain in this, and there's a lot of pain that exists on both of those small islands. Our hearts, our thoughts, our minds are with the people of Culebra and Vieques as they fight for the equity they deserve. And I hope that day comes, and I hope it comes soon.
Lastly, since today's episode is focused on Puerto Rico status and the Puerto Rico Self-Determination Act, I wanted to share that Illinois became the first state to endorse the PR Self-Determination Act thanks to the efforts a couple of weeks ago by state senators Omar Aquino and friend of the show, Cristina Pasiones Zayas, as well as State Representative Delia Ramirez, who introduced supporting resolutions in both houses of the Illinois legislature. We've also seen support here in Chicago as Boricua Alderman Roberto Maldonado introduced a resolution in the Chicago City Council to endorse the bill. That has yet to pass, but we'll keep you posted on that. If you know of any other grassroots efforts, uh, especially by elected officials throughout the diaspora or even on La Isla, we'd love to hear that. I uh, would love to share that news with everybody that listens. I've been looking for grassroots and legislative support in the diaspora for the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act, but haven't really been able to find anything. So if you've seen something, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to see it and learn more. Until then, let's jump into our interviews. The date is Saturday, March 27th, but that doesn't really matter because it's a podcast. Ultimately, we're just happy you're listening to this whenever, wherever you are. We have a guest today from Power for Puerto Rico. He's also a for, former uh, Obama Biden official, Federico A. de Jesus. Uh, so really excited to have the senior advisor uh, for Power for Puerto Rico on the show today. Federico, how are you? Welcome to the show. Joshua, thank you for having me. I have big shoes to fill for Eric. I'm glad that you're doing this. Uh, those those big uh, steel Puerto Rican flags at the Paseo Boricua are becoming uh, interactive. So really glad to be here. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm actually wearing a, a Fiesta Boricua shirt with both banderas on it, funny enough. What part of the isla do you have roots in? That's a good question. Um, I was born and raised in San Juan and Guaynabo. So obviously San Juan, the capital, Guaynabo suburb. On my dad's side, my family's from Ponce, La Pela del Sur. Um, and on my mom's side, um, it's a mix of Manati and uh, San Juan and a bunch of other places. Uh, 100% Boricua, no matter where you're you're born, and uh, happy to to talk about the island and their issues. We had uh, Erika Gonzalez from Power for Puerto Rico on the show. Uh, in previous episodes, we were breaking down uh, the Puerto Rico elections, the Puerto Rican electorate. Uh, so it was a really cool conversation. She shared a little bit about what Power for Puerto Rico is. But for anybody that's listening that hasn't heard that episode, can you uh, tell us a little bit about the organization? What should we know about Power for Puerto Rico? Sure. So Power for Puerto Rico was born out of uh, the crisis of Hurricane Maria, where uh, the neglectful federal and often local response um, really left uh, the longest uh, blackout in U.S. history. A lot of people were out of power in Puerto Rico for a year, but the crisis also demonstrated the powerlessness in the relationship with the federal government. So that's why, you know, between the electricity and people actually uh, moving forward in their communities, not waiting for for government aid uh, to come, really showed how how you can uh, empower yourselves. So power for Puerto Rico really means just that, not just electricity, but just empowering people. Uh, we're a coalition uh, that includes several national and local groups like Hispanic Federation, Sierra Club, Center for American Progress, and a lot of local uh, and state community groups like Puerto Ricans in Minnesota. We have the People for Puerto Rico from Philadelphia, Alianza for Progress, and others in Florida. 
Um, so we're really trying to build a, a movement here and we're advocating for disaster relief and policies at the federal level that, that empower Puerto Rico to address structural problems. I know that sounds like a lot, but that's kind of what our wheelhouse is all about. What's the like quick rundown of the Puerto Rican Self-Determination Act, Federico? What, what should we know about this bill? Sure. So before we get to the legislative uh, substance, I think it's important to, to segue right from where Power for Puerto Rico was born out of. I think that not only Hurricane Maria, but Promesa, the fiscal crisis, the 15-year-long recession Puerto Rico's been in really shown a light uh, to, to the United States and people um, in the states that really weren't familiar with Puerto Rican issues, except maybe once a year they saw the Puerto Rican Day Parade, or maybe Vieques was a hot topic, uh, you know, but they really weren't familiar with what's going on in the island. I still think it's a challenge because Puerto Rican issues can be complicated. And so I, I really appreciate the, the props to our Twitter feed because it's challenging to really condense so much complication into 143 characters. Um, this bill, the Puerto Rico Self-Determination Act, was born out of community activism. The uh, press conference that you mentioned, we had more than 100 national and local uh, grassroots organizations from the island and the states that were pushing for a self-determination bill that really broke with, with how Puerto Rico's status conversation has been had in the past. Puerto Rico has held six non-binding uh, referendums, which really are just beauty contests because Congress isn't obligated to listen or to implement the results. Um, sometimes Congress has tried to force a specific uh, solution upon Puerto Ricans, but have never really consulted um, the Puerto Rican people as to the options and the consequences of those options. So Puerto Ricans have been arguing amongst ourselves for years, but we really haven't had Congress who holds the power and the sovereignty over Puerto Rico to tell us what it's willing to offer uh, the people. And we're trying to force that conversation through a grassroots level before this, this conversation was really dominated by the political parties in the island, um, which obviously still have to have a role, right? Um, but it shouldn't exclusively be about the politicians or the parties. It should be about the people, and that's what we're trying to do. Um, in terms of the bill, it's actually you know, being uh, presented in the press as something really new, and it does have new aspects, but the fundamental uh, part of this is based on a 2006 bill that Ted Kennedy and Bob Menendez, when he was arriving in the Senate, and Luis Gutierrez, your hometown former congressman, and Nidia Velasquez introduced this bill, basically not to force anything on Puerto Rico, but to recognize that Puerto Rico has the inherent authority to call a status convention that would be elected um, and to create a mechanism for Congress to respond. So it wouldn't force Puerto Rico to do anything, but if the island and its elected legislature decide to call for something like this, then it would kick in a congressional bilateral commission that will really negotiate and establish the parameters of, okay, well, if Puerto Rico does wish to become a state, uh, what does that mean? Well, how long would the transition last? When would federal taxes kick in? What would happen to the debt? Would there be reparations? Would the Jones Act continue under the, the a statehood? Would language uh, be an issue, right? Because in, in Puerto Rico, Spanish is the language of schools, the government, and the courts. Even though the island has two official languages, English and Spanish, the lingua franca in Puerto Rico is Spanish. So would that change? Um, it had to in New Mexico and in Hawaii. Uh, we're in the 21st century. Some people say that it couldn't. Under independence, would U.S. citizenship continue in the island? Right now, we're natural born. U.S. citizens, right? We're not immigrants, even though we have the immigrant experience culturally sometimes. That's a unique part of Puerto Rico. Um, and what would happen in between free association or, or greater autonomic commonwealth relationship that's not colonial um, would entail? All of those questions 
sometimes are, are, are left to the propaganda that politicians in the island and sometimes in Congress like to spew on Puerto Ricans, but never has officially Congress said, yeah, you know what, this is what we're willing to do for you and negotiate the terms and then offer the people a final chance to vote and then have Congress actually abide by that, that vote. Um, this, but this bill is binding. This means that if Puerto Ricans vote, um, Congress shall approve um, a resolution uh, implementing the result of, of a final referendum. So all of those elements have been missing from the conversation. And this is really about empowering people to make a, an informed decision. When I hear free association, uh, independence, statehood, I, I get a little bit confused because, I mean, independence, that's pretty clear. Uh, statehood, clear. Uh, but free association, can you break down what that would mean? Because when I hear free association, I think independence. What's that distinction? You know, people think they know what statehood is, again, or, or independence. Uh, people uh, think that under independence, uh, all of the McDonald's are going to leave the island and the dollar's not going to be circulating and we're going to be starving to death. You know, those myths about what people think are independence or statehood should be addressed in this convention or any other official process, right? But those in-between options, what would greater autonomy for Puerto Rico mean without being under the territorial clause? That's in part why, what we need uh, this congressional commission to tell us, right? Because some people want, for example, to control uh, Puerto Rico's borders. That's not unprecedented. Uh, the Northern Marianas, uh, another US territory that is actually a Commonwealth, they do that, right? So what would that look like? Right now, there are Mexicans coming into Puerto Rico to help grow coffee. And you would think with so much unemployment, why is that? So would Puerto Rico actually want to bring in more people, right? Sometimes when people talk about controlling your immigration system, it was viewed as trying to <laughs> prevent Dominicans and Cubans and others who immigrate regularly Puerto Rico out. But with the outflow of Puerto Ricans to the mainland and other countries, um, we have a shortage of workers in Puerto Rico, either because they don't want to work for the low poverty wage, minimum wage, or because simply they have other aspirations, right? So for Puerto Rico to have more power over its economic and internal affairs, um, is crucial. And what would those details look like? Again, Puerto Ricans have debated it for centuries, uh, right? So what would free association mean? I don't consider it independence. Some people use that, I think, to scare off people. I think that when you share, for example, uh, you can be a, a, a republic, uh, you can have representation in the United Nations, but if your defense and your currency and other systems are still shared with the United States, but you hold national sovereignty over basically all of the other areas, um, for example, customs, then, then that's a different type of relationship, more akin to maybe the European Union, for example, than a sovereign independent republic or kingdom like uh, you know Saudi Arabia, for example, or the Dominican Republic. Um, so again, those concepts are sometimes hard for people to grasp. And that's in part why we need Congress to step in and be part of the solution and neither dictate nor ignore the issues that Puerto Rico is, is currently facing. And the reason that this is complicated is because if it were Washington, D.C., right, a lot of people talk about, well, let's make D.C. and Puerto Rico a state. It's a voting right issue. And maybe we would have four Democratic senators. Well, number one, Puerto Rico, unfortunately, is going through a very conservative phase where they can't even band together to prohibit uh, conversion therapy, for example. You had a Christian party that got 8%, um, which is a lot for Puerto Rican standards. And I'm not saying Puerto Rico wouldn't be a democratic state. I'm just saying that it's not a slam dunk and people need to look at this further. So in the case of D.C. and Puerto Rico, D.C. is the capital of the nation where Americans live, where they pay federal income taxes, where they don't have their own national 
identity or their own tax system uh, or their own constitution, for example, DC's budget has to be approved by Congress. So the limited autonomy that Puerto Rico had was not only a recognition of Puerto Rico being basically a Latin American country under the US flag, um, but also this issue of, well, this is our country, this is yours, but the US holds sovereignty over you. How are we gonna work that out? So Puerto Rico was allowed to form its own constitution in 1952, which inaugurated the Commonwealth, which basically what changed? Puerto Rico was able finally to raise its own flag, which was illegal um, before in the first 50 years of American occupation, we got our own constitution. Um, and Congress actually limited its power before the Commonwealth, Congress and the president could veto laws unilaterally approved by the Puerto Rican legislature. But unfortunately, after Puerto Rico got bankrupt and the PROMESA law was imposed by the federal government, a junta was imposed on Puerto Rico that can veto the budget and other decisions and laws implemented by the duly elected officials from the island. So that really uh, turned Puerto Rico's colonial uh, legacy bare, whereas before there was a debate over, over whether Puerto Rico was a colony of the United States. Nobody really disputes that. Nobody serious anyway disputes that. And so we're really not trying to leave anybody out of the process. Some Commonwealth supporters feel that they're being left out because the current status isn't included. And what I say to them is, look, the Commonwealth Party always said they wanted to enhance and improve Commonwealth. Let's just do it in a way where Congress doesn't give us power that it then takes away and then we're back in this position where we're the oldest colony in the world. I know that's a very long-winded answer to a short question, but those are the issues, again, that Puerto Ricans have been debating passionately amongst ourselves, mainly in Spanish and in the island. And now the diaspora is part of the conversation and we want to force Congress to answer these questions and not let Puerto Ricans be on the wayside while the federal government treats us unfairly from things over Medicaid. Again, the Jones Act that makes uh, things more expensive in Puerto Rico because only U.S. ships can be used in interstate commerce. Um, and so all of these issues like debt and reparations need to be addressed. The PR Self-Determination Act isn't the only bill that's being that's been introduced to Congress. But uh, a few days before the PR Self-Determination Act was reintroduced, Representative Darren Soto, uh, who's a Democrat from Florida, and Representative Jennifer Gonzalez, Puerto Rico's non-voting member of Congress, who's also a Republican, um, introduced new legislation that uh, basically uh, advocates for Puerto Rico statehood. It's called the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act. What would you say the distinctions are between both of these acts? And is the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act uh, tied to the recent statehood referendum in the past Puerto Rico election? Sure. So again, um, before going into the details of the bill, um, where did this Statehood Admission Act uh, come from? So several uh, bills were introduced um, basically since the 2010s on a Statehood Admission Act, even though maybe random legislation on that could have been introduced uh, decades past, but with serious momentum, uh, it began in the 2010s. Um, and several versions have been bandied about. Uh, Congressman Darren Soto from Florida, the first Puerto Rican from Florida, Democrat, he introduced a bill in the last Congress that would have made Puerto Rico a state without a referendum, before the referendum in November, by the way, and it would have made it a state in three months with no transition. Mm -hmm. So you know, sometimes these bills from both sides of the aisle, right? Democrats and Republicans do these messaging bills to either please donors or please constituencies. But this is, I think, the first time that we're really seeing a serious discussion basically on both bills, right? Um, I have my preferred uh, choice, which is the Self-Determination Act, and uh, I, I respect the folks that are for the statehood bill. I think that the basic difference is that the Self-Determination Act is inclusive of all non-territorial options, 
And the statehood bill obviously just wants to make Puerto Rico a state, regardless of what Puerto Rico wants. And you would say, well, Federico, but didn't Puerto Ricans vote 52.5% in November in the elections to become a state? And my answer is yes, that number exists and it's real and whoever denies it, I don't know what Kool-Aid they're, they're drinking, but that's not the whole uh, side of the story. Why is that? Because you have this movement, the new progressive party in Puerto Rico, um, that pushed for that referendum that says that statehood is a civil rights issue, a voting rights issue, right? Um, and yet they kicked out Commonwealth, independence, and free association supporters off of the ballot in that referendum and left statehood as the only choice. So if your choice is a piece of bread that might actually have some fungi on it or starve to death, I think between something and nothing, people usually pick something, right? So it's unfair to say that statehood uh, enjoys uh, a majority support in Puerto Rico, number one, when other options weren't on the ballot. Number two, when the U.S. Justice Department rejected that referendum, twice actually in 2017, and there was a boycott. But this time there couldn't be a boycott because it was the day of the election. Um, and the other side is that, yes, you have that 52.5 in favor of statehood, but there's another number that people don't talk about, 67%. What does that 67% represent? All other people that voted against the current governor who was for statehood, take it or leave it. That 67% won a majority in the legislature, um, a multi-party for the first time. For the first time, there's an all-women Senate in Puerto Rico with a Afro, uh, openly lesbian uh, contingent, labor, some extreme Christians, some atheists, a lot of diversity. So that 67% voted for something else that wasn't statehood, no matter if you want it or not. And there are statehood supporters in that 67%. This Self-Determination Act isn't a, an anti-statehood bill. In fact, a new representative from one of those new leftist uh, parties in Puerto Rico, Jose Bernardo Marquez, he's pro-statehood, and he's for the Self-Determination Act because he says the U.S. government will not look upon a result of a referendum in Puerto Rico with legitimacy if it wasn't inclusive, right? That, that just makes common sense. And a lot of people criticize these Justice Department rejections of the referenda because they were the Trump Justice Department. And let me make clear that those reports from the Justice Department, yes, they were from uh, Will, Bill Barr and, and Jeff Sessions, that were uh, Trump appointees, but they quoted Obama-era White House Task Force reports saying that any referendum in Puerto Rico that leaves out other options wouldn't be legitimate for the Obama White House. So to say that this is some Trumpian, racist, anti-Puerto Rican uh, report is just flat out wrong. And people in Chicago know that Trump, that Obama wasn't anti-Puerto Rican, um, even though we may not have agreed with all of his policies. He definitely wasn't a racist against our people. So I think that all of those myths need to be cleared out. And that 67% that's promoting diversity is also promoting this bill. This wasn't born out of the political parties in Puerto Rico, but we do have the House Speaker of Puerto Rico, who's for Commonwealth, for Enhanced Commonwealth. We have the pro-independence party, former candidate, and that party endorsing this bill, Juan Dalmao, who for the first time got 14%. So let me make that clear. The statehood governor got 33%, and two independence candidates combined for the first time in history got a total of 30% of the vote. So to say that all Puerto Ricans are now statehooders really negates that 67% that's for diversity. So that's kind of where the two bills fall from. One would make Puerto Rico a state contingent upon another statehood, yes or no referendum, but this time it would be binding. So kudos to them for doing a binding uh, bill. And our bill is binding as well, but it would just include all options. It's been criticized for being a little bit more complicated, but just think, how was America born? 1776, there was a constitutional convention, right? This isn't unprecedented. Um, and so for important decisions, 
why do we want to have delegates as opposed to the people directly decide? Well, no, again, the people will decide at the end and at the beginning. They elect the delegates and they will either reject um, or accept any of the alternatives posed to them in an informed way. Um, but it's all about who drafts the definitions. In the past, politicians and the political parties drafted the definitions, skewed them in order to manipulate voters, or congressional bills, again, tried to decide for Puerto Rico would impose those definitions upon them. Now it would be Congress and Puerto Rico in a bilateral manner negotiating for the people to know what's acceptable to both sides, right? And in a democratic way. So again, I'm biased for my bill, but I do have to give the statehood's credit that they, this time they actually introduced a, a binding uh, statehood yes or no referenda. I just think that saying to people, oh, if you're opposed to statehood, you can vote no, and that's inclusive. No, imagine an election where Trump uh, was the only candidate and you could just say yes or no. Well, that's not fair. You need to be able to proactively vote for your choice. So self-determination is that. It's the freedom to choose, the freedom to choose your own destiny. In this case, what relationship we want to have, if any, with the United States of America that invaded Puerto Rico in uh, 1898 and took over Cuba, the Philippines, and Guam, and they still haven't left Guam and Puerto Rico, and that's what we're trying to decide. Looking at these two bills, uh, how would you describe the bipartisan support in the U.S. Congress? Sure. So let's let's be straight. The the, the Puerto Rico Statehood Act, uh, Statehood Admission Act, does have more bipartisan support than the the, the PR Self Determination Act. Although it does have a Republican senator from Mississippi, Roger Wicker, who's actually been an ally of Puerto Rico on some issues. Right. I'm not a conservative, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but there is some bipartisanship here. But really, the the, the statehood bill has more bipartisan support, which makes you wonder if you're a progressive, why are all these Republicans wanting to make Puerto Rico a state? What do they know that I don't? Um, and I think this other bill, the, the, the Self-Determination Act, will garner more bipartisan support. It has 85 senators and members of, of Congress. It has Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, a lot of uh, progressive champions, but also centrists like Robert Menendez, right? And, and a conservative like uh, Roger Wicker, and obviously Alexandria Ocasio, who's the progressive champion, and uh, Nidia Velasquez. So it's uh, a bill that reflects the diversity that we're trying to promote in the self-determination of the people of, of Puerto Rico. Would you say the PR Self-Determination Act is seeing more collective support from the diaspora, or would you say the Puerto Rico Statehood Admissions Act is receiving more support from Puerto Ricans in the diaspora? You know, it really depends on how you measure that. Um, we, again, uh, see that statehood admissions bill as something driven by the government of Puerto Rico, the Republican delegate in the House, Jennifer Gonzalez, who's from the new progressive party in Puerto Rico. Wrap your head around that, by the way. In Puerto Rico, we don't have Democrats or Republicans. We have the Commonwealth Party, which is the Partido Popular Democrático, and the new progressive party, which is the statehood party that elected a Republican to Congress, right? Um, so wrap your head around that. Um, but that, those are the people and the governor and the previous governor uh, were supporting this bill. But this, the Self-Determination Act, even though, again, there, ha there have been politicians from all, all persuasions in Puerto Rico that support it, it's mainly driven by grassroots support, not just from, from the organizations I mentioned earlier, like Alianza for Progress, Puerto Ricans in Minnesota. We have Puerto Ricans in Arkansas and Ohio supporting this. But we've also been able to get grassroots supports from people like Indivisible, um, like the Sunrise Foundation, like the National Urban League. So we have immigrant uh, organizations like FLIC, the Florida Immigrant Coalition. Uh, so we also want to bring this conversation outside of just Puerto Rico and just Puerto Ricans in the diaspora 
to educate uh, progressives, conservatives, libertarians, and all Americans from all, across, all walks of life, right? Because the nation um, that we live in in the United States is founded upon the principle of consent uh, by the governed, right? And also a pluribus unum of many one. That's why the name indivisible of that grassroots organization is formed, right? One nation under God. Whether you like the under God part, it's one nation, right? In the case of Puerto Rico, it would be more like Quebec. It would be a pluribus duum. And I don't want to get into my Latin class uh, geeks out there, but basically uh, Puerto Rico is a nation sociologically. It has an Olympic team, a national language, national anthem and flag. And that's fine, um, but you have to accept that, right? If Puerto Rico will become a state, will there be an Olympic team? Some people say, well, the Olympic Committee is a nonprofit. It, the government can force them. Yeah, but there's something called the U.S. Amateur Sports Act from the 70s that actually prohibits any state to have its own Olympic team. So again, people need to know these little details that might seem random. But the point, again, is that there's diversity in this push. We don't have millions of dollars in, in lobbying and consultants or PR firms. Um, it's a community effort, and I'm actually surprised that in the tally, we have 85 members of Congress supporting this, and they have 57. And that might change. They'll get people to support it. Uh, we'll get others to support our bill. The important thing is that discussion is being had and that there are al alternatives out there. Um, and so I think that when this year started, Democrats wanted to get rid of the filibuster, make Puerto Rico and D.C. a state. And there weren't people questioning that. Now there's a conversation about well, wait a minute, there might be a different approach that is inclusive and that's progressive and fair and transparent. And that's kind of what we're trying to make people realize that that th there's a little bit more than just one non-binding referenda that excluded all their options. To wrap up our conversation, we ask our guests uh, what they're obsessed with. So uh, just curious to hear from you, you know, what are you obsessed with today? Um, it can be related to Puerto Rican culture. It does not have to be, but, um, you know, movies, TV shows, you know, w w whatever books. Um, what are you obsessed with today? Well, obviously, anybody who listens to this podcast will realize that I'm obsessed with Puerto Rican self-determination. Um, other than that, I'm actually quite uh, fascinated by an unfortunate growing xenophobia in Puerto Rico that's, again, complex. But we've had an influx not only of those, you know, Americans coming in and, and evading taxes, but also a lot of tourists swarming in. You've seen footage from Miami, people <laughs> destroying property and getting into fights, not wearing their masks, obviously. Um, and in Puerto Rico, we've had an influx of those types of tourists. Unfortunately, we've had people coming in and disrespecting locals, not wearing masks or respecting social distance, and that's wrong. And the authorities really haven't arrested them. But some of the online criticism, unfortunately, has been a little racist, right? Because a lot of the women are African-American. They wear clad clothing. And Puerto Rico is a very conservative society. And you see a lot of comments saying, well, it's not that type of tourist. Or why do they have to behave that way? And, you know, people who think that we're Latin and there isn't racism really don't know Latin culture. Um, and so I'm not saying that all Puerto Ricans are racist. In fact, I think we're very welcoming uh, people, but unfortunately, the loudest voices online um, get listened to the most. And I fear that there's a growing rejection of, of others. Um, Puerto Rico is a very welcoming place. Again, um, there's the Mexicans that are coming and growing uh, coffee and tomatoes in Puerto Rico that's very needed. Um, and so in the States, I'm very pro-immigrant and, and pro-choice and anti-hate. And I have to be consistent and, and, and support that type of, of, of social policy in the island as well. And so I don't think um, that these uh, religious groups that are trained to prevent the banning of trans uh, of uh, conversion therapy are on the right side of history. 
And I hope that Puerto Rico falls into that uh, right side of history because you really can't go to the United States and demand civil rights when you're denying them at home. Um, so that's kind of one my main obsession over this is about it. It's also related to self-determination, but it's a more cultural way of analyzing it and trying to separate the economics and the politics that are crucial, but it's all about people and how they relate to each other, right? So that's kind of what has my head wrapped around. Unfortunately, I'm not going to uh, conventions or, or speaking engagements like I used to, it's all online. And I'm really obsessed about going out and having fun when, when we're all vaccinated and it's safe to do so. Uh, so that we can have a social life and, and interact people, um, you know, in meaningful and fun ways. So that's kind of what's been on my mind. And hopefully after the pandemic, I won't be as obsessed with Puerto Rico self-determination and we can come back and talk about movies and books and other stuff. So I don't want to have people give the impression that I'm putting Puerto Rico down. I'm a very proud Puerto Rican. And in fact, Puerto Rico under Governor Garcia Padilla, which argue was the last con constitutional governor of Puerto Rico, he actually passed two important bills. Number one, uh, prohibiting uh, discrimination in the workplace privately as well um, for the against the LGBTQI community plus, and also um, banning any um, discrimination against immigrants and giving them uh, driver's license. So I really like to go back to those days. It wasn't that long ago. That was in 2015. Um, and so let's just remind people that we're having this influx of outsiders to the island, and it could be controversial, but it's about people, and we should treat them as you know, Puerto Ricans usually treat people with welcoming arms, and, and that's really what I would like, um, no matter what the status debate uh, turns out to be. Federico, how can people keep up with you? How can they keep up with Power from Puerto Rico? Give us all the things, websites, social media. How can they stay up to date? Sure. So you mentioned PRPolicy.org. That was a campaign for hashtag show us your PR policy during the presidentials to force candidates of both parties to have a Puerto Rico policy. So take a look at that. Take a look at power for the number four, Puerto Rico.com, not .org, the domain was taken. Um, you can follow me at, at F de Jesus Febles. I'm sure that you'll put it under the screen because it's tough to, to remember, but this is a podcast. So at F D E J S E S U S F E B L E S. My mother has a last name. Puerto Ricans are really tight with having two last names. Um, my company, FDJ Solutions, at Twitter, at FDJ Solutions DC, and at uh, fdjsolutions.com, our website. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. And for Powerful Puerto Rico, um, we're also on, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and would really like to engage you. Again, we're not for any status option. We really want to empower all Puerto Ricans to this conversation and also uh, the economic and political discussion on a lot of other issues that, that face the island and the, the U.S. So hopefully um, we'll be able to engage. And I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to be with you, Josh. All right, Federico A. de Jesus, thank you so much for being on the Paseo podcast. Appreciated the insights, the knowledge, and the context that you gave us. Thanks for being on the show. Muchas gracias. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause, pero no se muevan, porque when we come back, we're going to speak with our guests, Giovanni Pagan Velez and Andreas Rodriguez Brower to talk about research they helped conduct with Data for Progress on Puerto Rico status preferences with data from likely voters on La Isla. Stay with us. We want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening. When you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself, that makes a world of difference. So gracias. 
for taking your time to listen to us. We also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode. This episode would not be possible without the generous support of the Puerto Rican Cultural Center. The Puerto Rican Cultural Center, located at 2546 West Division Street, right here in Chicago, is a community-based, grassroots, educational, health, and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination, self-actualization, and self-sufficiency that is all activist-oriented. For more information on the work they do, Give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org. Again, that's prcc-chgo.org. Now, if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the Paseo Podcast, please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Continuing our discussion on uh, the issue of Puerto Rico status, the relationship between Puerto Rico and the United States. And uh, we have two guests here that actually did some really good research on uh, the temperature on the island, on where people stand on the issue of Puerto Rico status. So today I'd like to welcome Giovanni Began Velez and Andreas Rodriguez Brower. Uh, they were two members of the research team that were responsible for a recent study on uh, Puerto Rican status preferences. I believe the, the title is a bit longer than that, but if you type in data for progress in Google, Puerto Rican status preferences, the doc will come right up. You won't regret it. Read the whole thing. We're going to dive into a few aspects of the report. Uh, but before we get into that, Giovanni, Andreas, welcome to the Paseo podcast. How are you today? Thank you for having us. Uh, we're doing pretty good right now. I'm Speaking to you right now from Santurce, Puerto Rico, as you can see from the shrubbery right here. Can't complain. It's a nice day outside. Right on. Andreas, are you in Puerto Rico as well? Where are you at? No, I'm so I'm currently visiting some friends in New Jersey. I've been in the city for most of the pandemic, uh, New York, that is. Um, uh, but yeah, had the chance to get away for from a tiny apartment uh, for the weekend, uh, birthday weekend. So, so excited to have that opportunity and but of course, looking forward to the next chance to go to the island as well. Nice. All right. Well, it's really good to have you both here. Before we get into the nitty gritty of this uh, research that you both were a part of, uh, what should our audience know about you? Giovanni, why don't we uh, start with you since you're in Santulce? I'm being biased. I love Santulce. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, um, the first thing that people should know, I was born in Santulce, Puerto Rico, but my family lives in Toa Baja. I currently work as an economist, but I do a lot of other things on the side. Andres, what about you? Yeah. So, um, like, like Johnny, actually, I, I don't think I noticed this, but I was also born in Santurce. Um, seems like everyone was born in Santurce, but yeah, I, I was raised in Trujillo Alto, Puerto Rico. Um, lived there um, until se uh, 17, 18 years old, where before I moved to New York for uh, NYU, uh, where I majored in economics and politics. So can you both give us, um, and whoever wants to take this, Giovanni, Andres, um, you know, give us a, a like a top level view. Uh, the research that you all did for for Data for Progress, uh, full name Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican status preferences, uh, uh, simulating decolonization through ranked choice voting. Um, so 
I feel like there's a lot in that headline already. Um, what is the synopsis of this research? And again, we'll go into some of your key findings, but like, what's the, the high level view? Okay, so I'm going to jump into one thing that needs to be said before. Sure. Um, so Andres and I have for a long time discussed the issue of status as everyone in Puerto Rico does. But one thing that we found as a common trait was that there was not accurate data what people thought, one. And two, all the wording of the questions usually had one bias or another. So for example, um, certain questions of status didn't include certain options or frame certain options in a certain way. So we wanted to develop a process that was fair and included all the options, right? So back in, in September, we reached out to some folks in Data for Progress um, to kind of think about a way to do this through ranked choice voting. And for those of you at home that are not familiar with ranked choice voting, the way that it works is that you rank what you want. So let's say you have, um, you need to choose between beverages and you have Coca-Cola, Sprite, and, uh, you know, orange juice. And you like orange juice the most, you put it one. If you like Coca-Cola, the second most, you put it two. And you like Pepsi the, the most, and you put the third most, you put it three, right? Um, and that's the way it works. You can do that for basically a lot of other options. Um, and, you know, that's one thing that we did for status. Um, so in the process of this, we pulled a few other things, but this particular study focused on status. And some of the main findings that we found was that 65% of Puerto Ricans in the island, or at least the ones that we polled voters, um, supported an option that is not colonial, either statehood, independence, or free association, right? And then we also find that 83% support an option that is not the status quo. So that includes what is usually called el mejorado, or the improved commonwealth, which is still a form of the commonwealth status, but has certain reforms that are, you know, somewhat uh, differently defined depending on who you ask. The point being that there's a broad consensus among the Puerto Rican electorate that folks want an option of status that is not the current one. And that's where we take it off and that's where we want to get the ball rolling because usually in the United States, the conversation is about Puerto Ricans are divided, Puerto Ricans you know, don't know what they want, but the fact is a lot of people know what they want and all of them coincide the fact that they don't like the status quo and they want that to change. Going into that, I wanted to uh, touch on the some of the key findings uh, that we found on the on the study now. Um, so like, first of all, our, our results are very much in line with uh, historical referendums, which um, somewhat put the question just how much uh, the actual um, the actual preferences have changed over the last few years. And though we do find that independence uh, is growing uh, relative to, to where it has st stood historically, and, and, we'll, and we'll have more on that. Um, that said, the state uh, statehood uh, has a plurality um, in terms of first uh, first choice preferences, and this becomes a majority once um, other alternatives are eliminated and narrowed down into the, the two final uh, most preferred options. Um, and then lastly, we want to uh, uh, remind everyone that the, any decolonization process will be influenced by the ballot design and the options that are available uh, and the details of each each option, including transition plans. No? So these are all, all things to keep in mind while, while going through these numbers. Looking at this research, if statehood is the only option that people can choose from, that will get majority, not, not necessarily a majority in terms of 50%, but it will get a majority of, of people deciding that that's the best path forward for Puerto Rico. Am I hearing that correctly? Not ranked choice voting, but just if it's just statehood is put in front of them and they have to choose yes or no, they're most likely going to choose statehood. Am I understanding that correctly? 
Yeah, I mean, that's also what we saw in the 2020 referendum, knowing um, there's there's criticisms to be had, but um, I, th I think also as our, as, our, um, as our peace shows, as far as Puerto Rican referendums go, uh, it's one of the ones with uh, the least controversy, <laughs> despite the amount of controversy that it also entailed, um, and, and more than the amount of, uh, more than it being a testament to how great the process was, it's a testament of how divisive and uh, confrontational uh, all the previous processes have been. Um, and, and it's something to keep in mind uh, with why there's so much animosity uh, between all sides uh, and when discussing something like process. You know what I mean? We're not even arguing about what the actual options should be, but the, even, even the, the question of how should the process be handled has long been his, uh, historically divisive. No? Um, and, and like Giovanni was saying, this, this very often was used like a, as a motivation to um, say, well, we can't decide uh, for Puerto Ricans, so we can't do anything at all. No? Um, so, so this is what, uh, why Giovanni um, correctly, very correctly pointed out that uh, the grand majority of Puerto Ricans want change in some way or form. And, um, um, you know, simply saying they're, they're divided and, and they don't agree on anything is, is not, uh, it's not fair to Puerto Ricans. Like imagine if we had a way for the United States to form a consensus to, to, to elect anything, you know what I mean? We, we would never get anything done. Um, and, and it's uh, to some degree um, unrealistic to expect Puerto Ricans to achieve uh, a level of consensus that we don't see in, in the political reality of pretty much any country. No? These past statehood referendums, the, the choices were, are you for statehood, yes or no? Um, do I have that understanding correctly? I'm thinking like well, the past 10 years or so. Well, a, a little bit. So mm -hmm. actually the first time that we had a statehood yes or no option was 2020. Before we've had mm -hmm. different forms of the all the options. So we in 2012, which is a previous one, well, actually 2017 is the previous one, had um, statehood, um, independence, and sovereign free, sorry, and uh, territorial status. And it combined independence and free association as, as one option. And then before that, what had is you had yes, no for the status quo. So there was, you had a first question that asked you if you wanted the status quo. And then the second one asked you if you wanted, if you, regardless of your answer on the first one, which is confusing, a lot of people pointed out, um, would you vote statehood, independence, or free association? Um, so point being that the design of the ballot has changed a lot of times. Um, however, I think something that that's kind of alluded to and I mentioned previously, and every single time, regardless of how you framed it, um, there's one bit, there's been one common thread, and it's always been that the state that regardless of the outcome, the United States has ignored it. Mm -hmm. Um, because all these referendums have been organized domestically, and the United States Congress has not recognized any of the outcomes, any of the processes of the referendums, which leads to this whole inactive um excuse, we, we put it, you know, to put it mildly, of the United States to say that, oh, the Puerto Ricans are divided, they haven't reached a clear majority. Well, the fact of the matter is that everyone agrees that they need to change it, but if the United States never declares what it's willing to give or what it's um, what it requires for an actual acceptance of a decolonial option, regardless of what it is, um, then nothing's going to happen because you can't decolonize a colony if the colonizer is not willing to engage in the process. I appreciate you saying that. I mean, looking at this past 2020 referendum, and I, I would I, I would think as uh, researchers you would you would appreciate this. You know, if you're if you're trying to take the temperature of where people stand on a particular issue, 
and you only put one yes or no option in front of them, then you run the risk of people that um, maybe they just don't like the Commonwealth status. Maybe they just want some type of change. So if you're presenting a change, yes or no, well, not only would you be uh, getting statehood people, it's people forced that prefer, prefer statehood in your corner, but you'd also get people that just want to change to the status quo. And I think that was really a really interesting data point in, in your research that showed 83% uh, of Puerto Ricans have a first choice status preference that involves at least some change to the status quo. So, uh, you know, again, when I think of that 2020 referendum, I think, okay, well, you were over 50%. That was the majority. Was the turnout the greatest? No, not necessarily. But of that majority that voted for statehood in that referendum, could you accurately say that everybody wanted statehood as a status option for Puerto Rico as their first choice? Um, yep. And then I, I believe there was there was another stat that you all had um, that 65% of voters in Puerto Rico have a first choice status preference that is non-colonial, non-territorial. Um, could you explain what those three options were? And I know you touched on it a bit earlier, but what, what were those three options? So here's one one thing to to give in context of what Please. non-territorial means, right? Because it's important for Puerto Rico in the way that the United States Constitution is framed. Um, there are states, which we all know what they are. They have their own sovereign power as within the federal system. And then there's incorporated and non-incorporated territories. An incorporated territory is what Alaska and Hawaii were before they became states. Mm -hmm. A non-incorporated territory is what Puerto Rico is and what uh, some of like the Virgin Islands and Guam, some of the other uh, territories of the United States are, which are under what they call the territorial clause. The territorial clause, the constitution allows Congress to dispose of anything that happens in those territories. So let's say Puerto Rico passes a law um, that bans uh, assault weapons. Um, theoretically, Congress could legislate to undo uh, that law. Same thing for the current status. So Puerto Rico's status of Commonwealth is based on the Federal Relations Act that is agreement between Congress and Puerto Rico. So the point being that as long as Puerto Rico is within that territorial clause, Congress can do whatever it wants, like impose a fiscal control board on Puerto Rico or you know, imagine any law that can happen down 20 or 30 years down the line. So the options where Puerto Rico is not within that clause are only three. Statehood, where Puerto Rico would become a state, right? Like um, all the other 50 states. Independence, where Puerto Rico would completely separate itself from the United States of America in, you know, maybe a transition process or whatever uh, is agreed upon. And then free association, which is a compact between sovereign nations. So Puerto Rico and the United States would agree on a clear pact of association, but that would be completely outside of the territorial clause, which means that if for some reason the United States were to overstep its authority on Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico could theoretically change that agreement or in some way, depending on the definition. So the point being that people in Puerto Rico, 65% of Puerto Ricans, have a first preference that is either one of those three. And if I remember the numbers correctly, it's like 44% statehood, 15% um, independence, and about 7 8% um, free association. So that's pretty significant. You know, 65% of people agreeing on the common thread of not being under the territorial clause is pretty big. That You can't think of any issues um, in the U.S. or a lot of places that have 65%. Obviously, they define on they, they, they differ on what actually is their final conclusion, but the point being is that there's common point of agreement 
that the current status quo of being a territory is not good. And then, and you mentioned the 83%. So that 83% comes from 17%, I think more or less, that support what they call an era mejorado, which is a Commonwealth status within the territorial clause usually, but with some enhanced benefits, like maybe voting for president like um, DC does, or perhaps more funding for Medicare and other options that Puerto Rico doesn't have. So this is important to kind of understand because regardless of how elections have been done in the past, you alluded to it correctly, stated yes or no, or maybe ELA yes or no, kind of hides the fact that even people that vote yes or no on certain things have other preferences that contradict the current status. And therefore, why we thought of a ranked choice voting mechanism, which allows people to express every single preference, right? Because some people prefer statehood and then they prefer independence, right? Some people prefer statehood and then rather than being independent, they'd rather stay at the status quo. And that's important to capture it. And that's why we think um, ranked choice voting is important because that way people can express everything and no one can disagree that there's no um, uh, option included there. No one can disagree on that. People weren't able to express those complex preferences in, in, a, in a choice and eventually lead to an actual con conclusion to this territorial status, which we all agree is not positive for Puerto Rico. Trying to, to see where, where Puerto Ricans stand on the issue of Puerto Rico status. So you, you gave them these different status options to, to vote yes or no on multiple rounds. Um, I want to say it was two, right? Two hypothetical scenarios that you all presented to, yep. to people in this research. So, um, and again, feel free to, to jump in, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but on the, the first hypothetical scenario, you had every option. So, uh, statehood, uh, uh, current status, enhanced commonwealth, uh, independence, free sovereign, free association, or just I don't want to answer, <laughs> abstain. Yeah. I, don't, I don't. And then the the second hypothetical scenario had all those same options except for uh, current status and enhanced commonwealth. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, and 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 it's important to point out that we pulled before those scenarios. So the the beauty of the process is that you don't. Um, like you don't exclude options before people express their preference, right? Gotcha. When we asked, we asked voters and they didn't know we were like going to exclude certain options. That way we don't bias the outcome. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we asked rank one to five or abstain the options. And then the way it works is once you narrow down options, so let's say we eliminated status quo. So if you voted for status quo, your vote moves to the second option. So if your second option was statehood, your vote moves to statehood. Or if your second option was independence, it'll move so on and so forth. So that allows us to show how it would actually work. So let's say we do ranked choice voting, which is actually in part of the um, Self-Determination Act proposed by Nidia Velasquez and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Um, if, let's say, uh, the five options were there, that the process would work out as we did. Um, but we also did those scenarios to show what if, from the beginning, um, status quo was eliminated, you would get something closer to this. It doesn't mean that we would get the exact numbers because obviously the exclusion of an option changes the choices. But the point being that those scenarios reflect preferences regardless of framing. And then we add the framing afterwards so that there's no bias. So that's the beauty of the ranked choice voting process because people can show their preferences and it transfers the vote immediately so that there's no need to kind of have a second election or people being able to shape the ballot in the way they want. Um, so to, to kind of add to that, um, what you were saying of the, of the scenarios, the first scenario of eliminating the status quo is 
what the bill stands, what we think the bill is very likely to look at based on political dynamics. Because we have independence and statehood and sovereign free association. Those are, should always be part of a, of a decolonization process as we discussed. And there's the fourth option, which is the Era Mejorado, which is the one being pushed by the PPD, the Popular Democratic Party, which usually stands for status quo. And that one is still a little murky, but they're trying to include it. So we think that's very likely to happen. However, we also did the other scenario, which we only do um, preferences of decolonial options because that's how it could also turn out to be that, you know, the Congress decides, actually, we don't want to add any um, kind of in-between measures. We want to either keep the status quo and not pass a process or move completely past it. So that's why we opt to do that. Um, and I think the results are pretty interesting. And I um, basically show that um, eventually statehood gets a plurality, sorry, it goes from a plurality to a majority because eventually people that either prefer independence or or um, the status quo kind of shift to to statehood depending on how the question is, is eventually narrowed down. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I, oh, sorry, Andres, go ahead. Sorry for me. So, I, I, if I may, I'm, I'm going to run down uh, the few scenarios that we have and, Please, and what the numbers look like. Great. Um, and, and I do want to um, point to uh, the question you asked earlier, you know, that, um, and reemphasize that this concept of statehood, yes or no, is extremely new. Um, and it's a, it's a new development. It's a new development. It's not the historical position of the PNP. It's, in fact, originally proposed by the populares because they believe that by uniting all uh, anti-statehood options, you would be able to defeat statehood in the same way that the ELA, was the, the ELA and the territorial status was defeated in the 2012 first question, where 54% um, voted against the, 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 cur the current status, right? So um, this framing, uh, you know, again, it was originally proposed by the populares and then in 2017, um, we get the 97 number when all the, the non-territorial, where all, actually all the options are included except the Commonwealth, which leads us um, to the ranked choice voting, which is the closest approach to what has been done historically while allowing, while adding an instant runoff. That's the fact of what we're doing. Um, so um, the, again, in the first scenario, as Joanne mentioned, we drop current status as what is, as it is what is being currently proposed in the in the bill. Well, I also want to emphasize that if you go by pure ranked choice vote and just drop the lowest uh, option, the final result would be the same. Since in the end, uh, in this scenario, you would uh, leave the enhanced commonwealth in there and um, you would drop sovereign free association first, independence first, and they would move regardless to enhanced commonwealth and eventually commons, current status would be less popular than enhanced commonwealth. Regardless, so listing down the first the first round uh, first round preferences, and this is uh, purely what voters want, and this is us without dropping any options. So in the first round, state we find that statehood uh, gets forty four percent, enhanced Commonwealth gets eighteen percent, independence gets fifteen percent, sovereign free association gets six percent, and current status gets seventeen uh, percent. So what we force this the dropping of uh, current status. Uh, first and leave enhanced commonwealth there. For the second round, we find that statehood gets to 46%, enhanced commonwealth gets to 30%. So massive swing from the people who support the current status moving to enhanced commonwealth. Independence stays at 15% and sovereign free association stays at 6%. So you get uh, everyone who supports current status pretty much brace towards enhanced commonwealth 
and then two and then two percentage point increase for uh, statehood. Um, after that, we drop uh, sovereign free association. You get a, a one percentage point increase for independence to sixteen percent, three percentage point increase to enhance commonwealth in the third round to thirty three percent, while statehood gets a one percentage point increase to forty seven percent. Lastly, we drop independence, which had sixteen percent, um, and by this point, ten uh, percent uh, goes to enhance commonwealth and three percent. Uh, goes to statehood, which puts that statehood at 50% versus enhanced commonwealth at 43%, while 8% of the people would be abstaining by this point. Um, later on the in the second scenario that we were mentioning, we forced to drop enhanced commonwealth, assuming that it isn't successfully defined as a non-territorial alternative, uh, which again is a requirement under the current NIDI bill. And it's currently in dispute whether uh, we still don't know whether the Populares will be able to, to put forward the definition uh, that meets this criteria, nor whether uh, this is their goal. So we've seen people such as Aníbal Acevedo Vila um, uh, recently say that a recent proposition by the Populares, which called for uh, Puerto Rico not being uh, subject to uh, the uh, um, Poderes Plenarios del Congreso, um, which is a full control of Congress. So they basically want Congress to cede. And Aníbal Acevedo Vila, former governor of Puerto Rico uh, and, and candidate in 2020 for uh, our representative, Comisionado uh, Residente of Puerto Rico, resident commissioner, um, he interpreted that result to mean that it's non-territorial and that they're proposing a non-territorial alternative and the populares will come up with a proposal uh, for, for their vision of this status in uh, June or July. Um, while other people in the populares are saying that no, uh, non-territorial inherently means that the airline is in an option. And we just want it to not be under, again, the Poderes Plenarios del Congreso, whatever that means concretely. And we'll find out more in June or in July, what that option actually looks like and whether or not it will be able to be included in in our, uh, in, our, in the ranked choice vote scenario. But in this other scenario, we, we assume, you know, that it is dropped. And as you guys know, this, this got 43% of uh, all the preferences in the, in the uh, first hypothetical scenario versus the 50% of uh, statehood. And so in this other scenario, um, again, uh, we start in the first round with 44% statehood, 6% sovereign free association, 15% independence, 18% enhanced commonwealth, and 17% current status. We drop current status, uh, statehood goes to 46%, sovereign free association stays at 6%, uh, independence stays at 15%, and enhanced commonwealth jumps to tw uh, 30% once again. No? Mm -hmm. Then we drop enhanced commonwealth, what happens now is statehood immediately jumps to the, in the third round to 51%, while sovereign free association jumps from 6% to 23%, and independence jump, jumps to 17%. And then lastly, independence gets dropped, and statehood uh, increases to 55%, sovereign free association to 33%. So in this scenario, we would see a pretty clear victory for statehood. And you also have a significantly higher amount of abstentions. Uh, you have 12% uh, abstentions uh, in this scenario. So these are the two scenarios that we went through uh, and modeled. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people listening, Andreas, are going to hit rewind a lot on all those numbers because <laughs> you give us a really great breakdown. And I think like this is why I really like the research you all did, because I think it really speaks to the nuances and preference that exists on La Isla. Given the sample size of the of the poll and, you know, the the amount of municipalities that are in Puerto Rico overall, <laughs> I think it's hard to get yeah. that uh, level of <laughs> insight of 
uh, this this uh, specific municipality is more for this and more for the other. Mm-hmm. So uh, we didn't we while we did you know um, use uh, Senate district information uh, to weigh the results. Um, we don't have that sort of breakdown for this, um, and and whatever breakdown we would have, um, we would have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, again, because uh, you know I, I don't I'm not sure how many people we pulled for Barranquillas, for example, uh, specifically, but um, <laughs> just dividing the the amount of people we have in the sample by the amount of municipalities, you get a small you get a small number. No, there's a lot of municipalities in Puerto Rico, sadly, <laughs> but um based on the 2020 results i do think you can find some interesting things though um and it's uh one interesting finding from the 2020 results in the presidential in the government sorry the gubernatorial election uh we found that the beep was uh over the pro-independence party overperformed particularly in the san juan metro area where and performed uh about as well just below at, at the populares in the San Juan uh, metro area, in the Movimiento Ciudadana coming up right after them. Whereas in the rest of the island, what we saw was that the Movimiento Ciudadana outperformed uh, the the PEEP, the Pro Independence Party. Um, again, these differences aren't, um, they're not huge. They're not huge, but it, it, it does show to reflect the, the, the popularity that Juan Del Mao's candidacy had, especially in the, uh, with uh, young progressive in the San Juan metro area. Um, which uh, is interesting, um, and and we do have we do have demographic uh, breakdown, which we can uh, get into detail later. But but as I mentioned, um, uh, I think there one of the most interesting insights is is again the race and uh, I am black Puerto Ricans uh, favoring the status quo, and the reasons for that happens uh, with uh, manos a la obra and the material uh, gains that these communities often had during the transformation of Puerto Rico. Uh, from an agrarian society uh, where uh, many of these people, you know, are were descended from slaves, uh, whether officially or, um, you know, just working at with ascenderos and later uh, uh, gain the benefits from industrialization. Whereas you have uh, more mestizo leaning to, uh, less towards statehood than the than uh, the white uh, identifying Puerto Ricans. And again, whether that means uh, real or if that's self-selection. Uh, we 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 can't answer that, um, but um, it's still still interesting insights in that. I want to just transition a little bit to uh, the one question we ask all of our guests to end our episodes. What are you both obsessed with right now? It can be related to Puerto Rican culture, not related to Puerto Rican culture. Um, Andreas, why don't we start with you? What are you obsessed with nowadays? Um, so I was obsessed with basketball. Um, okay. Big basketball fan, <laughs> big boxing fan. Are you keeping uh, up with again, FIBA? Are you keeping up with the Puerto Rican no, team? No. Ah, okay, okay, okay. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm more more of an NBA fan. Uh, okay, uh, right. Puerto Rican national team. Um, Andre Andre Curbelo, he's gonna be good though. So once from Illinois, so shout out to him. Uh, hey, Andres, man, you're impressing me uh, with your basketball <laughs> knowledge, sir. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. But sadly, sadly now uh, LeBron's injured, Lamelo Ball's injured. So right now I'm I'm switching switching and pivoting a little bit. And so I've been been listening to a lot of reggaeton lately, uh, trying to see where the the reggaeton scenes uh, continues evolving, continues uh, dominating Latin America and the world. So uh, it's always see, fun to see that grow. You know, go from uh, music that we mostly listen to, you know, in, in in the island and was very much shunned by the rest of the world, and uh, you know has 
taken over and gone mainstream in the United States, it's gone mainstream in Europe and has even gone mainstream in some parts of Asia. So uh, that, that's another thing that I'm very much uh, obsessed and, and very much want to celebrate from Puerto Rican culture. Giovanni, what about what about you? What are you obsessed with nowadays? Well, I, I, I'm not going to lie. The, the, the person, well, actually, the creature that I'm most obsessed with is my, my dog, Chobi. So Andres has met him. He is a one-year-old uh, mixed uh, uh, chow-chow German Shepherd. He's wow. super happy and, and exciting. And honestly, during the pandemic, has been complete, uh, like, bastion in our family because we had a very difficult time with the economy and, like, my dad's health and everything. So Chobi has been, like, an obsession that has kept on giving. So we're really happy to have our dog and go run with him. I run with him every morning, so... It's it's nice to have, and I encourage everyone to get dogs. I've, you know, I'm, in, I'm I'm like in New York. I remember everyone having dogs. Now in in Puerto Rico, I'm here, like seeing way more people with dogs. So that's it's good to go back to to hang out with our, with humankind's best friend. How can people keep up with you? Yeah, um, honestly, for for me, Twitter, like follow me at Gio Pagan Velez, um, or you can just email me. Really, like. Uh, Giovanni.paganveles at gmail.com um, you can reach out to us and ask any questions um, we're always excited to talk about status non-status issues Puerto Rico issues non-Puerto Rico issues follow me at Andres Brower on Twitter um, you can also email me at AndresBrower at gmail.com and I encourage everyone to follow Data Progress at Data Progress on Twitter uh, which is Data for Progress's Twitter account Giovanni Pagan Velez E Andres Rodriguez Brower, appreciate you both. Thanks for being on the Paseo podcast. No, thank you Gracias, for having me. Joshua. Take care, everyone. Thanks to Federico A. de Jesus, Giovanni Pagan Velez, and Andres Rodriguez Brower for being on the show today. You can watch our interview with all three of our guests on our YouTube channel this Monday. Just type in Paseo Podcast and we'll pop right up. As a reminder, we're off next week. I'm taking a little vacation for some mental, spiritual, and physical well-being. But the good news is we have a ton of episodes you can listen to on our website, paseomedia.org. As always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone for an interview, or even share a news story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, Connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.